Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. As the stigma surrounding cannabinoids fades, hemp-derived supplements are gaining traction as popular applications for pain management. New research from the University of Arizona Health Sciences in the Comprehensive Pain and Addiction Center have found that terpenes mimic cannabinoids and produce similar pain-relieving effects. Here to tell us more about this research is Dr. John Stryker, Associate Professor at the University of Arizona. Hi, John, and welcome to the NutriCast. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. So before we get into all the research and your findings, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background, your current role, and how you got involved in researching cannabinoids? I started grad school a very long time ago now in 1999. It seems like, a, it seems like the dark ages. And <laughs> what, I, what I started working on in grad school was actually not in cannabis or even in pain. It was in the heart. So I was studying uh, heart and how heart stresses get turned into heart failure and heart disease. But there was a common thread to it. So I was studying what's called signal transduction. So when a drug like a cannabinoid or other drugs like morphine or hormones produced by your own body, all these various signals are, are either enter your body or produced by your body. They act on receptors in cells, and then those receptors activate a bunch of downstream proteins. So that's the signal transduction cascade. And so you have all these signaling molecules that get turned on to cause all these changes inside the cell and thus inside uh, you, the, the the organism, such as pain relief or, or whatever you're interested in. And so I was studying signal transduction in the heart. And then when I went on to do my postdoctoral fellowship at the Scripps Research Institute, I wanted to look more at the receptor level. And I happened to sort of come across an investigator, Dr. Laura Bond, who was looking at opioids in pain, but with the signaling and the signal transduction. So I kind of had that common thread. So I joined her lab and worked on developing these new kinds of drugs which would stimulate the opioid receptor, alter their signaling so that hopefully they would not cause all the negative side effects. And so when I started my own independent lab in 2012, I kind of brought these pieces and these threads together where I was still studying signal transduction, that kind of that common thread from the heart failure work that I did as a grad student. Uh, but so, so studying signal transduction, but mostly in the context of opioids and pain. And I've been, and then of course the goal of this is not just to figure out how the system works, but to eventually uh, design new pain relieving drugs, which are not going to have all the negative side effects of opioids. And so that brings me to cannabis and cannabinoids. So I'd always had sort of had this interest in cannabis and cannabinoids. And as we were, our, our research was trucking along, one of my grad students, Justin, became very interested in terpene compounds. So of course we'll talk more about this as we go along, but he he thought there really might be something to this, and so we started testing the terpenes and found some really interesting results. And that is now kind of an additional research thread or you know, part of my research program in the lab where we're studying cannabis, cannabinoids, and terpenes and how they might be able to relieve pain in a better way than current approaches. One thing you focus your research on obviously is pain. So I'm wondering, is there a specific type of pain, whether arthritis or athletic right. injury? Yeah, so we actually try to use a number of different kinds of pain in our research because what we're hoping to do at least is to come up with treatments, new drugs that are, you know, not only are non-addictive and don't have all the negative side effects, but are also very effective and hopefully effective against a lot of kinds of pain. And so in the lab, we use a number of different pain models. So we have like a simple, uh, what's called nociceptive pain, which is sort of like you stick your hand in a hot stove, you, you draw back. And so we have basically that model. 
and when you give opioids or even cannabinoids, that type of pain is reduced uh, to like a post-surgical type pain. So sort of modeling what might happen if you go in the hospital to have, you know, a, a surgery of some kind. And of course, that's not very fun. It's not very comfortable. And so you need pain relief and pain control to manage that. Uh, we have more chronic pain models that are sort of modeling people that have to deal with pain long term. Uh, probably my favorite is a chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy. So cancer patients, as we all know, take chemotherapy to treat their cancer. But chemotherapy is not a fun chemical to take. It causes a lot of stress and damage in your body. And one of the damages that it does is to your peripheral nerves, it causes them to get inflamed and die. And that can cause a lot of pain. And in some patients, even after they beat the cancer and stop taking the chemotherapy, they still have this, this neuropathic pain that sticks around sometimes for the rest of their lives and is very difficult to treat. So that's an example of another kind of relevant pain model that we're testing to try to find analgesic drugs, pain-relieving drugs that are going to be effective against a broad variety of pain types. Okay. You kind of referenced the terpenes. How do they work and what is their mechanism in the body? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, just, just in case, I'm sure everyone is already familiar, but just in case we're not familiar, anyone listening to this. So in the cannabis plant, which is something we have an interest in, of course, there's a lot of different chemical components to that plant, right? It's not just one thing. It's not just THC. Right? It's a lot of stuff. And so there's cannabinoids like THC, like the minor cannabinoids, like THCA and so on, THCN, and all these different minor cannabinoids that are found. And there's also non-cannabinoid chemicals. And one of these classes of chemicals are terpenes. And whether you know it or not, you know what terpenes are. You've interacted with them because they are small molecules that produce a lot of the intense flavors and aromas that are associated with plants. And so you, you, you take a lemon, you smell it to get that really nice lemony, zesty smell. That's D-limonene. That's a specific terpene. And, you know, beta-pinene is, is what gives uh, pine trees their, their scent and, and so on. And there's literally hundreds of these chemicals. There's tons of them. And cannabis has quite a few. Cannabis has, uh, depending on the cultivar, depending on who's doing the measurements, you can get up to about 140 or so terpenes in the cannabis plant. And so, at least in the old days, kind of the assumption was that these terpenes were just flavor, you know, literally uh, there for, for flavor, that they, and aroma, that they didn't really have any sort of pharmacological properties on their own. But there's this pool of research, this body of research that does include human studies that show that these terpenes can have some sort of beneficial effects. And so, you know, for instance, linalool, which comes from lavender, calming anxiety, reducing pain. You know, one notable study that I remember was even, you know, having a terpene for women that were in labor and that that terpene that, you know, it was an inhaled thing. But even inhaling that terpene would seem to reduce their pain and reduce their anxiety during labor. So there's this body of clinical research that suggests that terpenes could be doing something. But where we really come in is that a lot of the research wasn't rigorous and it didn't explain how these terpenes were carrying out their, their effects. There was no mechanism to it. And so we kind of came to this. As I mentioned, my student, Justin, Justin Levine, was very interested in terpenes and sort of the idea that we had, and this is not original to us, is that the terpenes could be producing their own pharmacological effect that could combine with the other elements of, of the plant, right? So maybe your cannabinoids and your terpenes, for instance, are working together to produce something kind of unique on their own. This is called the entourage effect, which I think we'll get into more later. And again, we didn't invent this idea. I don't want to make it seem like I'm taking credit for it. Uh, but we thought that could be the case. And so when we tested the terpenes, we tried to figure out if they're having some kind of kind of pharmacological effect and if they could be interacting with cannabinoids or maybe other chemicals to enhance their effects. 
And we specifically looked at this in terms of overall behavioral effect in the animals as well as in pain relief. And we've identified a few mechanisms, but we're just getting started on that work. What would you say is the most compelling of all your findings? Definitely the one I'm most excited about is the effect of the terpenes in chronic pain. And so we had, we have a published study now. It was published last year in, in scientific reports. And we took four different terpenes, beta-pinene, uh, linalool, uh, geraniol, and alpha-humulene were the ones that we tested. We had injected them into animals, and we figured out that these terpenes had a cannabimimetic effect is what we called it. Basically, the effect looked behaviorally looked like a cannabinoid. So it produced pain relief, produced um, catalepsy, reduced body temperature, and so on. So typical kind of classic cannabinoid tetrad effects. And we figured out some of the mechanisms, and we figured out that this could interact with cannabinoids to enhance the benefits. So all this was sort of interesting and exciting. It sort of said that there could be something pharmacologically true and useful about these terpenes, that they could potentially be interacting with cannabinoids in the plant to produce an entourage. Lots of implication. But for me, the real excitement came is in the unpublished work we did next that we're getting ready to publish. It hasn't been published yet where we tested these terpenes in a chronic pain model, specifically that chemotherapy-induced neuropathy one that I mentioned earlier. And what we found was that the terpenes produce a very strong pain relief in this model, equal to that of morphine or a synthetic cannabinoid. So it's producing very strong pain relief. And in further testing, we found that they really don't have a lot of concern, at least not all of them, have concerning side effects. So we're able to identify specific terpenes. My favorites right now are geraniol and linalool that had this strong pain-relieving effect without producing uh, sort of negative emotional effects, dysphoric effects in the animals, and without any seeming side effects to concern us greatly with their use as a potential pain therapeutic. Wow. So you just beat me to my next question. I was going to ask how these <laughs> terpenes and cannabinoids stack up against pharmaceutical-grade painkillers, but it sounds like they're equally as effective. Well, it really depends on what you're testing. So if you'll remember earlier, I described nociceptive pain, pain in a hot stove style pain. In that kind of test, the terpenes were actually very weak, like they didn't did not produce a strong effect. And if you inject morphine and do that test, you're going to have a very strong effect. But, you know, but in one sense, that hand in a hot stove pain isn't very relevant to patient experience in daily life. You know, that's not really the kind of pain that we want to relieve. We want to relieve chronic pain. We want to relieve pathological pain, disease pain. And at least in this one model of chemotherapy neuropathy, that pain relief was just as strong as, as morphine. So we're going to have to figure out how the terpenes stack up against, you know, cannabinoids and, and opioids and other pain relievers in different pain models to figure out where they're going to be most effective. Okay, so it just really depends on the individual pain model. At least so far, that seems to be the suggestion, yeah. Okay, and then what about pain pill addiction? Are cannabinoids a promising alternative? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there is some solid research out there on this, uh, and we're actually working on this from the terpene angle as well. And it seems that cannabinoids can potentially reduce the potential for addiction, I would say, through a couple of mechanisms. And, and the first is that if you're taking cannabis or cannabinoids and it's relieving your pain, at least to some extent, you might be able to discontinue taking opioids to relieve your pain, or you might be able to reduce your opioid dose to relieve your pain. And if you're doing that, then you're going to reduce the chances that you become addicted to your pain pills in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. And there is some work out there that does suggest that when you take these things together, like you take cannabis or, and, or specific cannabinoids and opioids at the same time, that the addiction potential of the opioid is directly reduced. And so there's definitely something promising there. And there have been some 
uh, clinical studies, so these can't really establish like a direct experimental link, but that suggests that people that use cannabis are less are less likely to develop an opioid addiction. And so these, this is all very promising, and we are now right in the middle of, of doing studies. We don't yet have any firm results yet, but in doing some studies to see if uh, terpenes might actually be able to act similarly to reduce the rewarding and addictive properties of opioids. You've got a lot of research going on. <laughs> I do. I have passionate uh, students and, and staff, and uh, we have a fair amount of them. I've got maybe 12 or 13 people in the lab. So, And not all of them are working on the terpenes, but yeah, we keep, keep it rolling. So a lot of professional teams remove THC from their list of banned substances or are at least becoming more open-minded about it, especially yeah. CBD. Which sports would you say have really embraced cannabinoids the most? Yeah, so this this is an area I'm not as much of an expert on. I haven't seen as much. Uh, I've seen a little bit from the NFL, National Football League. So they do seem to be chilling out a little bit on this issue. They've also have been directly funding research, which is great, mm-hmm. on uh, the use of cannabinoids and cannabis as a potential to relieve pain. So I, I know they, they're at least in the game a little bit. Sort of anecdotally, I'm, I'm connected to the triathlete community through my wife, I know there's been a fair embrace of CBD as sort of this, you know, pain relief and recovery sort of a tool. You know, again, I don't have, you know, numbers like scientific numbers in any of this, but that's my sense. But other sports, I'm really not as clear on. Uh, But one thing I will say, though, is that THC really should be removed from these banned substances lists. It's not a a PED. It's not a performance enhancing drug in any sense. Um, and, And really, of course, the dangers of THC stacked up next to, say, alcohol are, are not even as high as alcohol. So I don't see any reason why this should be on a banned substance list and be a reason for athletes to not be allowed to compete. Agreed. And maybe you don't know this answer, but what, what about specific players? What role do you think pro and retired athletes play in getting the word out, breaking the stigma, and just talking about the benefits? Yeah, so I, I do know there's a few, I, I, the names escape me at the moment, I do know there's a few former NFL players who sort of have embraced CBD specifically. And are saying that you know people should look into this for pain relief. I don't know a lot of the specifics there, but I do know that in general, that's one of the ways that you can sort of shift the the prevailing opinions or beliefs of how people operate is when you have sort of trusted intermediaries, trusted people that are looked up to that say this is this is fine, this is good. That I think is going to help shift attitudes over time. And of course, I have a role in that too as a scientist, is to produce rigorous studies of this stuff to really say what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks so that that we can really make a a true informed decision upon uh, using this stuff. And with all your research, I have to think that you feel like you're you're doing your best to break the stigma and present sound science, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I will say, too, there's been a tremendous amount of interest in this work. So when we published last year, we published that study I mentioned on terpenes. There has just been just a, a tremendous amount of public and scientific interest in this. Uh, the, you know, the number of views on the article is in the 99th percentile for, for that journal and for science at large. Like the number of people looking at this, reading about it, contacting me, it's really high. So there's a hunger out there to to know what's going on uh, with cannabis, cannabinoids, and and terpenes, honestly, and to see if there's really something there. That's my role is to try to 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 bring some light and some truth to to what's going on here. And so what is next for you? Is there any other research or updates, news that you can share with some of the listeners? So the grind never ends. So this will continue. I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm only 44 years old. So this is going to continue for the foreseeable future in my laboratory. 
And so I mentioned the, the chronic pain study. So that's going to be, we're getting ready to publish that. You should be submitting it. So it might be out in, say, four to six months, something like that for everyone to read. Uh, fingers crossed. And that is very promising. Uh, we have another study with an inflammatory pain model that's very, looks, the results are good, but that's in the earlier stages. And so basically we're looking at different kinds of pain. As I mentioned earlier, the, the kind of pain might make a big difference. And so we're studying different kinds of pain. We're figuring out the mechanisms. We're figuring out how the stuff works. And, uh, and also we're, we are looking at this in the way that it modulates uh, reward and addiction potential. So I, I did mention that earlier as well. So we want to know if the terpenes could be a potential way to mitigate the risk of, say, opioid abuse or something like that. And so we're working on all of these threads, uh, plus more, which will probably come up with time. And, you know, I mentioned all that public interest. So we've been collaborating with uh, companies that are in this area. So people that are looking at terpenes, people that are looking at cannabinoids. We've been testing with, with the, you know, in partnership with different companies, we've been testing terpene blends to see if they might have a different effect than the purified terpenes alone and looking at different kinds of blends, looking at different components that are not even terpenes, but aren't cannabinoids either. Uh, one example is uh, with one company, we're looking at a, a molecule called prenylthiol, which gives cannabis that skunky scent. Uh, you know, we all know what that is. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at that compound specifically to see if that might have some sort of pharmacological effect. So, so you know, this is big, it's growing, and it's going to be keep, keep going into the future. We have a lot of exciting stuff. We will be on the lookout for some of that research. Dr. John Stryker, Associate Professor at the University of Arizona. Thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really appreciate it. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.